What is the most important question that you will ever answer in your life? Who is your God? There's not another question that you will answer that's more important than that. Who is your God? The section of the book of Exodus in which we arrive today answers the question, who is the one true God? And reveals to you that he wants you to know him and to love him and for him to be your God. We will be in Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through chapters 9, verse 12 today. And if you don't have a bulletin, Raise your hand. It's got sermon notes in there that are always helpful to follow along. If you want those, Chris is there to pass them around to you. Everybody else, open your Bible. Turn on your Bible. Chapter 7, verse 8 through 9, 12. We are finally entering the showdown we have been building up to. To review, before we go, in case you're just joining us for the first time, Exodus is one major part of the big story of the Bible, the big story of the universe of which we are all a part. It's unfolding God's plan of redemption. As the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, as it opened, the nation of Israel, three million people strong, was living under the brutal slavery of a deeply wicked nation, Egypt. As the name Exodus suggests, this is a story of redemption, of being set free Freedom by God raising a deliverer, and we saw that, the raising of Moses, calling a deliverer, the calling of Moses, just like he calls us today, preparing a deliverer like he prepares us today, bringing righteous judgment against evil as he does today, and crushing pride and arrogance as he still does, offering chances for repentance and faith as he always does, and all the way pointing to the ultimate deliverer who moves the whole world to freedom, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who fulfills it all. Well, that's where we've been in the book of Exodus. The crying out of the people from their misery, God has heard them and responds as he always will. The calling and preparing of his reluctant deliverer, Moses, has finally been accomplished. Now it's time for the showdown. God is ready to demonstrate his righteous wrath and judgment and his infinite power over the prideful Pharaoh and Egypt. So the 10 plagues we enter today, this is the enormous showdown that we have been building up to. And so much is involved in it that we are splitting this part of scripture up into the next three messages. Plagues number one through six today plagues seven through nine, and the warning of the 10th plague in the next message. And then the third message from now is the 10th plague and Passover. And that's going to happen on March 28th, which is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, and the week of the Passover Seder that we're going to have here uh, at Community Grace on Saturday, the day before Easter. The timing could not be more perfect for all of this. Praise God. So today we enter the showdown between Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron, between God and false gods. And we see emerge our structure for today. If you have your sermon notes, you see this. 
one dominant theme, one pattern, and three cycles. That's our structure that we're entering into today. Let's begin with one dominant theme, the dominant theme of really the whole Bible, of really the whole universe, the dominant theme that they may know that I am Yahweh, that they may know that I am God, the one true God. Now, Pharaoh had asked a question back in chapter 5, verse 2, that seems very modern. He said, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? People ask that all the time. In the plagues, God answers. God repeats this statement that they may know that I am the Lord. Because it is his will to point out to us by his grace when we are trusting in wrong gods. That is the dominant theme. We'll also see one pattern throughout this showdown, one pattern, and that is obedience, power, counterfeit, and hardness of heart, rejection. We see this pattern for the first time in this little opening that Jared just read in verses 8 through 13. These first six verses, here's what those verses are like. They're like a trailer of a big movie. Or they're like in an action movie that you've ever seen, there's always this little showdown between the good guys and the bad guys, this little scuffle that they have that ultimately leads to the big showdown, right? That's virtually every action movie's plot. Well, it happens here, too, in these verses. Let's read these six verses, this little intro, and then see the four-part pattern in them that we just said that continues throughout the plagues. Okay, here's where we find it first and where the pattern is established in this little introductory scuffle between Moses and Pharaoh. I'm going to read the verses, then we'll look at the pattern. Verses 8 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. There's obedience. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent, God's power. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. There's a counterfeit. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, rejection. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's look at each of those a little bit more closely. First, that obedience piece in the first few verses. God told Moses and Aaron to take that staff to show that God was the one working the miracles. And they did just as the Lord commanded. Notice this statement shows Moses' maturity now. For all that time, he kept saying, he expressing his self-doubt and his doubt in God and making excuses and wanting signs. All of that's over now. He has matured. The process is completed. God's man is ready, and he obeys right away. And that's a process we all go through, and we all want to get to that place where we trust God. He is the one true God. We just obey. And that's the best for everybody involved. That's where Moses is right now. Then we see God's superior power over Egypt's gods. 
Keep in mind over this entire battle that we're starting today that God is taking on Egypt's gods, and this is important. I have a list here of 125 Egyptian gods that were identified around this period. There's gods for everything. They give credit and glory for everything good and that exists in the world to these gods, and God is taking that on. He doesn't share his glory, but he alone is due. And that's a huge purpose for everything we're going to study today in the next few weeks. Remember the first of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God is God. Nothing else is. The pagan worship of creation in all its forms is a stench, an insult, a rejection of God. And he wants to show us his real feelings towards that. Counterfeit signs, there is power in the counterfeits. Don't be deceived. There is power in the counterfeits. The magicians of Egypt made snakes too by their secret arts. But of course Aaron's staff swallowed up their serpents. The word translated magicians here is the Egyptian title for priest. These are the spiritual leaders of the culture in Egypt. And these magicians represented Egypt's many gods with their demonic power and influence and occultic influence. This civilization practiced demonic witchcraft in addition to the human sacrifices and child sacrifices and prostitution and temple prostitution, mutilation and slavery, all of those things. These were the heads of the spiritual forces, these magicians. Now, we're hosting this week some missionary friends from out of town, and we had a good time. Jan Banke, he's right there. In fact, I'll just have him raise his hand. Um, Jan is, has been a missionary in, in a few countries in Africa for a long time, and uh, he has a heart for the Fulani people of Western and Central Africa, the same people group that our own Mike and Myra Taylor have a heart for and do missions work in CAR. And so we put them together last night. We had a great time, and we discussed some things. One of the many stories that were shared, you know, when missionaries get together, a lot of stories. It's great. But one was for a woman that I want to ask our church to pray for right now. She was a magician witchcraft, and had harnessed demonic powers for it and was known for this. She came to Christ. She came to Christ, and this is an amazing story, but here's where I want to pray you to pray for her, and they've called her Harriet to identify who we're praying for. She's among this people group, the Fulani people, and she is undergoing severe persecution by the rest of her people. Now that she's left that demonic witchcraft, and has become a daughter of God through Christ. They've taken her children away from her, and she's facing enormous persecution for her faith in Christ. Would you just write down on your notes to pray this week for Harriet? This is what we're talking about. These magicians is who God is confronting because it's evil and leads people to his judgment. So by his grace, he's going to confront this, and we're going into it right now. But first, the end of that cycle is Pharaoh's hardening heart. Despite each miracle, Pharaoh remained hard towards God, prideful, arrogant, not listening. And this is no surprise, God predicted it in last week's text that Pharaoh would harden his heart, which would eventually lead to God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart of rebellion to fulfill God's purposes through it. We talked at length about that last week. And Pharaoh stands as a warning for every human, all of us, and every human ever to live, not to harden your heart against God, no matter what. It leads 
to self-destruction. It leads to missing God's truth and wonders. It leads to God hardening his heart against you, the worst place that you can possibly be. Don't harden your heart to God. Again, one dominant theme in all of the story, in all of the universe, Yahweh is the one true God. And we can know him. And we must give him the glory that only he deserves. And we've identified our four-part pattern that will repeat itself again throughout the plagues over the next few weeks. Just say it with me so we're all tracking here. Just repeat with me out loud the four parts of the pattern. We have obedience, God's superior power, counterfeits, and hardening. Great. Now, as we study the 10 plagues, we will see this one pattern repeat itself in three cycles over the course of the first nine plagues, and we have our structure. Three cycles in the first nine plagues, we'll see this pattern repeat itself. Let me restate the purposes that we've identified for the plagues. The first purpose is, of course, to get the Hebrews out of slavery. Okay, that's one of the purposes for the plagues, but never think that that's the only purpose. If that was the only purpose, God could have done that in some other way. Why 10 plagues? There are more purposes. There's deeper purposes. See the whole picture. And this takes a lot of study of this text because it's not a simple answer. It's in the whole story. The second purpose for the plagues is to punish Pharaoh and the Egyptians for the terrible suffering they had inflicted on the Israelites, God's people, as brutal slave masters, including the mass murder of Hebrew babies. God's character is justice, and we can rest confident in that. We want justice. And we rest assured that God is perfectly just and justice will be served whether in this life or the next. Third, and maybe even more significantly with the plagues, God wanted to smash false gods. This is also by his grace and we need it today. These idols in the creation that we turn to rather than turning to him, they need to be abolished from our faith, from our trust, from our lives, so that we shall know that Yahweh is the one, all-powerful, true God. And God is going to accomplish these things, all of these, in the 10 plagues. Now, will we learn it through Scripture rather than having to experience ourselves? That's the question for us today. Let's look at the first cycle of plagues. Chapter 7 Verse 14 through chapter 8, verse 19. We're not going to read every verse. We're going to hit the highlights and tell the story. The first plague is the Nile to blood. God's first display of power is appropriately made on the Nile River. Why is it appropriate that he starts here? Because the Nile was the lifeblood of Egypt. This is where they got their water, their food, their transportation, and the setting of their calendars, their schedules, their seasons. Subsequently, they put their trust in it and worshiped it through at least three gods, Osiris, New, and Happy. Happy is the god of the Nile. And his body shape, if we can get that picture, is the shape of the Nile River. It's got the sagging chest and the pot belly. They made that after the shape of the Nile River. That's who they gave the glory and the worship to for giving them life and sustenance through the Nile River, for providing all of those things and even the seasons themselves. Praise happy. 
So in verses 14 through 19, God gives Moses and Aaron instructions on meeting up with Pharaoh at the Nile. We see that, okay? So they meet up with Pharaoh at the Nile, and we enter our pattern. First, we see obedience. In verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. No hesitation this time. They went right down there, risking their lives, and met Pharaoh at the river. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and God showed his power. We continue, verse 20 and 21. And all the water in the Nile turned to blood, and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt, a fitting retribution for Egypt's throwing the Hebrew baby boys in the Nile. God's power is on display. The counterfeits now step up. Verse 22, but the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. Now Moses might have laughed at this point. The magicians were so eager to outdo him and Aaron, they're like, look, Pharaoh, we can ruin our water supply too. Now all the water's ruined. Then we get to hardening of heart, verse 22 and 23. So Pharaoh's heart, it was good enough. It remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not even take this to heart. <laughs> you got to look at the pride of Pharaoh. Let me restate that the Egyptians saw the Nile as their creator and sustainer, and I just want to give glory to who glory is due, and this is what we're talking about here. Who does the Bible say is our creator and sustainer? Jesus. Colossians 1, remember in our sermon series last year, Colossians 1, chapter 15 through 17, he is the invisible, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created... All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in all things, and in him all things hold together. He is our creator and sustainer of every atom in the universe. Hear this truth. That's our God. We don't need any little g gods in our lives. That's who we have as our God. We don't need little g gods for security, for identity, for salvation, for life, for eternal life. We need Jesus. And we have him. Trust in Jesus. Glorify our creator and sustainer, Jesus. We're learning. Pharaoh's a little slower. Seven days passed, and the Lord called Moses again. The second plague is frogs. We see obedience in chapter 8, starting in verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with, the, with your staff over the rivers and over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. He obeyed right away. No hesitations anymore. God's power, verse 6, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Now, consider what God was confronting here with the frogs. The frog goddess Haket was held to control childbirth. The Nile and the frogs were symbols of fertility. So they loved frogs. And God said, you love frogs? I'll give you frogs. And so he did. Lots of frogs. They were everywhere. 
There's a song about this humiliation of Pharaoh's gods that is commonly sung in, by the children at a Passover Seder. And I am planning to request that when we have our Passover Seder in, in three weeks, that we indeed sing this song, at least the kids. It goes something like this. One morning when Pharaoh woke in his bed, there were frogs on his head and frogs in his bed, frogs on his nose and frogs on his toes, frogs here, frogs there, frogs were jumping everywhere. Can't wait for that. It's humiliating to Pharaoh, this. Uh, but we have the counterfeits pop up again in verse 7. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. This just keeps getting more humorous. The magicians can't take the frogs away. All they can do is add more frogs. And they do. But that was enough for Pharaoh to harden his heart again. Now, as we look at this time, this reaction by Pharaoh, he makes a false promise. In verse 8, then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice the Lord. It's revealed that he really has no intention of this. He just wants the frogs away. He's lying and has no intention of keeping that promise. And we have to remember that false promises of faith will not bring salvation. Is that what you've made? And you may be fooling your parents, and you may be fooling your church friends. You may be fooling that girl that you want to impress. But God sees right through it. In verses 9 through 15, Moses says, okay, let me know when you want the frogs gone. Pharaoh said, do it and make your sacrifice tomorrow. So Moses called out to God to remove the frogs. God removes them, and Pharaoh comes around to say this in verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord said. A proud man who considered himself God would not give, give in and faith and repentance to the one true God. We are filled with that same pride, each and every human. And humanism is kind of the position of the day that humans are the highest being, and we are essentially the gods. It's pervasive in our culture and around the world. No, we are the creation. We need to give glory to God. So in verses 16 through 19, we find the next plague, gnats. Now, linguists have debated whether, what exact insect this was, whether it was gnats or mosquitoes or lice. doesn't matter. Whatever the insect, this is striking at the proud heart of the Egyptians who prided themselves on their cleanliness and never being in contact with bugs, insects. Well, guess what? They're in contact with them now. This plague is confronting the Egyptian gods Set, the god of the desert, and Geb, the god of the soil. As God turns the soil, the dust, into bugs and challenges their trust in Mother Earth. Happy Earth Day. The earth has just swarmed into bugs that are eating them. Let's look at the cycle. First obedience, chapter 8, verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. They obeyed and God's power was displayed and there were gnats on man and beast, and the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. But notice now, 
as we've entered here for the first time regarding the counterfeits, the counterfeits, the magicians were unable to reproduce this. The counterfeits were unable, and they were covered in them, which is why they make the statement that they do in verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord said. By calling it the finger of God, the magicians are starting to come around here. They're realizing there's a power at work that's way greater than ours. They called him God. But Pharaoh didn't listen. He hardened his heart. And so we enter the second cycle, plagues four through six. We go around again. The second cycle of plagues. And it begins with some more little creatures doing God's bidding. Flies. And they were everywhere. Great swarms of flies all over the place. Verse 4 says, throughout the land, houses and even Pharaoh's house. And we see our cycle. Again, obedience and God's power are seen again as the flies come. But notice two things in verse 22 this time. Verse 22 says, but on that day, something new happens. I will set apart the land of Goshen. That's kind of where the slave headquarters were. That's where the, the Israelites lived, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Why? Listen to this statement again. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. God's purpose for all of this and all of this today is that we will know that he is the one true God. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, and he's going to continue to demonstrate that to the Israelites and to us today. As we journey through these plays, it's beneficial to notice these repeating cycles, but it's also beneficial to notice when new things happen. And this is what we see here. There's some differences along the way. Here at the beginning of the second cycle, we start seeing a couple things. We start seeing that the Israelites are protected from the plagues now as a picture of salvation. This is another miraculous element that we're seeing, the protection of God's people from God's wrath and God's judgment. God protects his people from his wrath and from his judgment. Got that? That is good news, by the way, for us. This is a foreshadow of our salvation in Christ. We Christians will not face the ultimate wrath and judgment of God, and that is good news. This is, again, we go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul calls this, that we are hidden with Christ in God and will not face God's wrath. Amen? Amen. We are seeing it pictured right here in the plagues. That's why this Bible exists, so we can know. They, at that time, looked to Kepri for resurrection. But Jesus said in John eleven twenty five 25, that if you believe in him, though you die, you will live. The resurrection power is in Jesus, but they're giving the glory of it all to Kepri, the God of resurrection. Notice another thing. I said there were two things new. Another new pattern that starts now. There are no more attempts by the magicians to recreate the plagues. So in case you thought that the magicians kept repeating all the plagues all the way through, all ten, that's not right. That stops after the first three plagues. There are no more counterfeits. So note that. They are tapped out. <laughs> all right, they're done. 
But Pharaoh isn't there yet. There's still a hardening of heart in Pharaoh. But verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. His pride is so strong. And so, and God's purposes haven't been fulfilled yet, completely. And so the showdown continues to the fifth plague, the death of livestock. Obedience, chapter 9, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. When we come to God's power, we see, again, there's a distinction between Egypt and the Israelites. Let's look at this in verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And so all the nation of, of Egypt's livestock died. And that's a crushing blow to a nation. Can you imagine those dead bodies laying everywhere? So the Egyptians had sacred cows. Even before India, people in India worshipped cows. This was a long time before that. Probably where the statement came from, sacred cows. They worshipped Apis, the bull god of sex and fertility, which was such a popular thing to worship. It prompted the Israelites' worship of the golden calf later in Exodus. There were goddesses as well, cow goddesses, Hathor and Isis, that represented love, sex, and beauty. All this explains the raunchy activities around the golden calf that we'll see later in Exodus. Counterfeits, again, didn't happen. But Pharaoh's heart was still hard, verse 7. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. How would he respond? But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. Which brings us to the sixth plague, and our last for today. Boils. Ouch. Verses 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Now notice how this plague started differently and purposefully than all the rest. There's some different things going on here. He says, take handfuls of soot from the kiln, throw them in the air, which results in boils. God shows a couple different purposes here. The soot from the kiln, this is the brick kiln where Israel had spent all their hours over the last many decades, centuries, as slaves making bricks. God's going to confront that evil with his righteous judgment, his justice. Now he's bringing boils to Egypt with them. Further, it was common practice for the magicians to do their spells by throwing this very dust in the air. So he's confronting them as well. Spectacularly. Don't miss any of this. God wants the world to know. And he goes at great lengths to proclaim over and over in every different way, many different ways. I am the one true God. You can know me and trust me and know my love for you and my awesomeness and my glory. And I'm going to keep showing you. I'm going to keep showing you God's power. Here's what happens. The ash dust becomes boils on both man and beast. 
This plague was an attack on the false gods that Egypt looked to for healing. Oh, gods, Amun-Ra, Thoth, Imhotep, Skemet, bring us healing. That's what they looked to for healing, not to the God who heals. Today, medicine is a great thing. There's so many technological advances in medicine, and it brings healing to us. That's a great thing. Brothers and sisters, don't put your trust in that. I find myself doing it too. Whatever happens, well, at least there's medicine for that, or we can go to the doctor without praying first. No, that's turning to a false god. Use the medicine. Give glory to God. Pray to God. Enter the relationship with the God who heals first. And use the medicine and give God the glory for it. He wants our hearts. We have his. Now look at the counterfeits activity here, verse 11. And the magicians could not even stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Yet, hardening of heart. Verse 12, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Did you notice something different here? Now we have a switch to the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. And from here, the plagues are going to intensify. God has targeted so far many different evils, many different false gods that we turn to and lots of sins that he's calling out and identifying, and he's not finished. We'll get into much more next message. But for today, don't miss this. The greatest, most important statement, who is your God? To make God known as the one true God is the purpose for all these plagues. It's the purpose for the Bible. It's the purpose for choosing the nation of Israel. It's the purpose for the church of Christ. To make God know, to worship him, enjoy him forever. So two next steps today. Number one is to believe and receive the one true God. You have met him in this text today. He is the almighty one and there will be no other. He rules over creation alone. He doesn't need and shouldn't share his glory with anyone else. He's the only one that deserves it. He will judge righteously, prideful sin, and he will save out all who call to him. He made himself known the most through Jesus, through being the visible image of the invisible God, through paying all of our debts, through his sacrifice on the cross. And what Jesus took on the cross on himself was much worse than the plagues. He took all our sin, death itself, and all of hell on himself on the cross. This is good news for us. And now he offers all of that to you, plus all the other things that he offers. Salvation, resurrection, eternal life, place in God's family, new life, completely washed, no matter what's in your past or in your future, it's all gone on the cross of Christ, Jesus. And so I ask again, who is your God? You can believe in him and receive him right now. If you already have, you can take further walk, uh, further your walk with him right now. And that's where we get to number two. Next step for today is to glorify the one true God this Easter. We are less than a month from Easter. This is a 
huge season in the church's life, the church calendar, the calendar, the whole, the whole universe. And so here's how we're going to respond as, as a church, Community Grace. Uh, the mission of Christ is to do things in your own personal life all day as you were going everywhere. It's also, though, church-wide as well. We're unified. And these are the things that we're going to do for this Easter. The first is what we'll do for every Easter and Christmas, and that is the invest and invite cards. And the guys put uh, a couple of each of the big cards and small cards on your chairs. Would you please grab those uh, right where you're sitting? And if you need more, reach to another row. And here's how they work. You take one big card and one little card. You can take one per person or one per family. And you write, these are the names of the people that God has put into my life who aren't presently in a church and we don't know if they believe in Christ or have received Jesus. Well, this Easter could be the time for them and if we pray. Uh, so we're going to pray. We're going to be devoted to prayer. So fill those out, please. You can grab a pen right now. Fill out the names on both cards. You drop the big card in the comment boxes on the walls at the exit doors, and you keep the little card to remind yourself from now till Easter, we're going to pray. We're going to pray every day for these people that God has put into my life and see what the Holy Spirit does. Um, this is what leads to revival. This is what leads to the world being changed, hearts being changed, is prayer. Let's be devoted to prayer. Fill out those cards, both the big and the small. Keep, keep the small, put the big in the... Boxes on the walls on your, on your way out today. And the next is, and we'll pray over those over the Easter concert of prayer, which I'll explain in just a second. The Easter invitation packets, um, we've made little bundles of invitation cards for Easter, and then we bundled them with the normal church business cards. And here's your commission. Over the next three, four weeks, uh, give out, they're, they're in five packs, so give out at least five to cashiers, to neighbors, people you come across, um, we're putting the church business cards with them because the service times are different. We have three services on Easter, and so pay attention to that. We'll talk more about it. Um, but give people, just, just sling them out around town, and you will connect. God makes divine appointments uh, with people who need to come and hear about Jesus and receive freedom through Christ that they need. So that's what we do. We pass out packets. We're fools for Christ. Yeah. Um, then the Easter concert of prayer, March 21st, is when we pray over all of those cards together as a church in kind of a concert of prayer. Powerful thing. And then the Passover Seder put on your calendar uh, for April 3rd, the day before Easter. That's a ticketed event, and information is just now coming out. If you got the email this week, it'll be out more and more as we get closer. You need to buy your tickets individually or buy a table uh, if you want to buy a whole table. That is going to be a great thing. So that's our Easter plans. In all things, glorify the one true God all, all your life, every day. Let's close and give this, the rest of this day to God.